Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throat. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us into these spaces this morning. Give us your Holy Spirit to illumine this, the very word of God to us, and bring us into your very presence. The church has confessed for millennia that in Jesus of Nazareth, in his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, heaven and earth meet. So give us a taste of heaven here this morning. Bring us into the presence, Father, of your kind son, Jesus, who gave himself for us and for our salvation by dying and rising again. Father, there is nobody within hearing of this sermon that does not need to be met by your grace and mercy. Would we hear it? Would we come? Would we be molded now? We pray, O Lord, in your name and for your sake. Amen. You may be seated. I said two more noogies about the 10th anniversary service. Here is one more. Eric mentioned that we're going to be doing some not every Sunday sorts of things in the service itself. And a lot of the ideas we received from my being at Liberty Harrisburg, one of the other churches in our communion, 10th anniversary service last year. <clears throat> there were a lot of fun different elements that they used. We appropriated a lot of those things. And I was actually at Harrisburg for their 10th anniversary. Matt Loyalin said what I thought was something really funny during the sermon. So 10th anniversary sermon, he said, all right, for some of you, these last 10 years have gone, best, have gone by really fast. For others of you, these 10 years have taken a really long time. And I started laughing, and I thought, that's a brilliant joke. I perceived that Matt was talking about some weird sort of Christian masochist at Liberty Harrisburg that maybe really hates the church, but has stayed there for a really long time for reasons that I don't really fully comprehend. And so I started laughing really hard, and have you ever gotten the feeling that you're the only one in the room laughing? So that's what happened. I stopped laughing because nobody else was, and then I asked Matt after the service, Matt, I thought that was a brilliant joke, but 
uh, nobody was laughing, but what, th what did you mean by for some people these 10 years have taken a long time? And he said, well, Jim, there's a lot of people in our church that have gone through from some really serious suffering over the past 10 years, and time has gone really slowly for them. I was like, okay. <laughs> I didn't quite have that idea. But in the second service, Harrisburg has two services on a Sunday morning. Matt omitted that line from the second <laughs> draft of his sermon that, that, that he delivered. Be that as it may, 10 years is a lot of Sundays. A lot of Sundays. And for me as a pastor, pastors go through phases like all of us do, where for some periods in the life of the 10 years of Liberty Collingswood, I have been locked in. I can't wait to get there on a Sunday morning. This is going to be awesome. But then there are other periods in the life of our 10 years where I felt low, and it takes some energy and effort. If you ever have the sense, do I really want to go to church today? Do I want to make the effort? Pastors feel that too. And in one of my lower periods when I felt like I'm not really fully present on Sunday mornings, I was hanging out during the week with one of our launch team members, walked by a hall closet of his, and I saw a Liberty Collingswood worship folder. Then I saw another one. Then I saw another one. Then I saw another one. I saw a huge stack of these worship folders, and I said, what's the, what's the deal with all these worship folders? And he said, Jim, I'm glad you saw that. I have saved every worship folder in the history of Liberty Collingswood because I love this church so much. And that repeated itself a couple years later when one of you here in the room similarly sent me a photo of one's first year at Liberty Collingswood, all of the worship folders. Instances like that are gifts to pastors, they're gifts to me. And in both of those instances and many others, I was convicted, thinking to myself, Sunday matters. And for the sake of you, for the sake of our congregation, week in and week out, I need to give you my best. It might not be that good some Sundays, but I need to give you my best. And even more than that, if you think about it, who is the main audience for a worship service? Spoiler alert, it's not you and it's not me. It's the living Lord. And the maker of heaven and earth, as we see in verse 15 of this psalm, deserves all of our best. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. He is the consumer of our worship, and we're called to worship him. So let's ask the question. What do you think about Christian worship? What happens inside of you, in your mind and heart and body, when you worship throughout the week in various ways, and then especially on Sunday morning? For some of us here, watching online and in the room, I mean, we all go through phases, so... Sometimes maybe we're like, I love this. This is awesome. When can I go into the house of the Lord? For those of us, there are some low periods when we're a little bored. Or maybe it's not connecting. Or maybe it's a little frustrating when you might think, when I am on the beach or in the mountains, I am naturally drawn to worship God because he made all of this stuff. But Sunday morning is just the shrug emoji. I guess, yeah, we're confused. Why are we doing all of this? Or if you're somebody here this morning or watching online, still piecing together skeptical reality, spiritual realities, trying to figure out where you are in the present with all of this stuff, 
you might think, at best, Christian worship is a waste of time and resources. At best, yeah, churches do some good things for the poor and the needy. That's great. But instead of doing some good things with their resources, why don't they put all of their resources into that? And granted, it is simply the case that even for Liberty Collingswood, we'll give a budget update during our offering moment later, we're doing really well, a big chunk of our budget goes into this, Sunday mornings, unavoidably for churches. And if you're skeptical of all of this, you might think, really? Is that worth it? Or even more skeptical of spiritual realities, is this healthy for a human being to do? Should we actually do this at all? But as we engage with the scriptures, as we engage with the living Lord, we find that we need worship. How is this for a coincidence? I think not. When I look back at my 25 years as a follower of Jesus, give or take right now, when the times when I'm out of sync with worship, when worship is just not really a huge part of my life, what a coincidence. Those are the times when I'm most grumpy. Those are the times when I'm most irritable. Those are the times when I'm most bored. Those are the times when I'm most disobedient. The world of the scriptures says that for a human being to say worshipfully, robustly, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to you be the glory because of your love and faithfulness, that is precisely what a human being must do. The living Lord calls you and calls me to worship. Will you rise to meet the call? So two parts from here. What worship assumes and then to whom worship must be given. What worship assumes and then to whom it must be given. When we look at Psalm 115 here, one of the psalms of the ancient hymn book of God's ancient people, the Israelites, the Psalter, as we look here, and this is true broadly speaking in the Hebrew scriptures and the, the entirety of the Bible, worship is assumed. It's not, hey, if you're kind of into it right now, you might consider worshiping God. Or, okay, take your time, think about it, and then maybe if everything is clicking, then God invites you to worship. It's just assumed. We're called to worship the living Lord. And you have at the beginning of this psalm, verses 1 to 3, a summons. Not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Verse 2. Verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And then you have this expose, verses 4 to 8, on what idols are. And you might wonder, be skeptical, and say, okay, Christians worship, people of faith worship, but that's not how I, I identify, and so I actually don't worship at all. The scriptures come back and say, everybody worships. Everybody worships. And in the mind and heart of the biblical worldview, think of it this way. The opposite of being a Christian worshiper is not atheism, but idolatry. The opposite of being a worshiper of the one true God is not atheism, it's idolatry. Common denominator, we worship anyway. Just the question is the object. I mentioned earlier cringe comedy. This is kind of as close as it gets within the scriptures itself to a little bit of snark. I kind of like it. Verse 4, 
But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. The book of Isaiah has similar idol taunts in them. Kind of snarky, kind of funny. But you might think, okay, that's all external stuff. But then it cuts to the heart. Those who make them will be like them. So will all who trust in them. It's a matter of the interior. It's a matter, worshipfully, of what you're trusting. You might not think you worship a whole lot, and maybe there are a lot of times you're not worship anything at all. Au contraire. Here is an example, personally, from your humble pastor from a couple of weeks ago. So I was on vacation, and this is why maybe there is something wrong with me. Sometimes I struggle on vacation. There's travel stress. I always get stressed out by travel in various ways. And in some ways, I'm free and easy. In other ways, I'm a pretty neurotically structured person where things that don't go exactly as I have planned sometimes just buzz my tower. And what happens on vacation a lot of the time? Things just go all of these different directions. And at, at various times with my family, whom I love deeply, I was getting frustrated. A couple moments of being furious. What was my heart saying in those moments? Stuff like this. I need this vacation. I deserve this vacation. Do you know who's been working really hard for a long time without a break? Do you know who just did another Easter? I was over-invested, and this was my pride idol, my comfort idol, my control idol, things that I was worshiping in that moment being distressed, and so I was struggling. And on the surface, me being frustrated on vacation, what does that have to do with worship? I'm on vacation for crying out loud. But my heart never stops worshiping, nor does yours. And that's what worship is. What do you give yourself over to? Different things. Money, fun, comfort, beauty, one way or another. And as we give ourselves over to these things, what at first glance might say, if I get more of this, there is freedom. But it's actually shackles. You hear me a lot on Sunday mornings quote a deceased author named David Foster Wallace. Not a person of faith, but let's call him faith-adjacent or faith-shaped. At a couple different points, he talked a lot about how we are, as human beings, worshipful creatures. I won't read you the super long quotes, but DFW has said this. The insidious thing about these forms of worship, for example, worshiping, wanting things to go your way on a vacation, is that they're unconscious. They are default settings. We're worshiping all the time. So let's do an inventory. What do you worship? What are your idols? What do you love? But then it spills over to loving too much. When you probably give yourself over too much. What do you spend your resources on, your time, your money, your energy? What is it that if you're doing this or pursuing this or attaining this, you feel worthwhile? You feel, okay, this is who I really am. This is from where I draw my identity. When you daydream, when you fantasize, where does your mind and heart go? 
when you get stressed and anxious, when you're not getting what you think you need? What are those things? What are the things that you think, if I don't have this, if this is taken away from me, I can't go on. Those are your idols. Those are your idols. There's another thing that's assumed about worship here in Psalm 115 (coughs) as well, and it's this. The assumption is we need a story. We talk about idolatry a lot here at Liberty Collingswood. We also talk about the power of story or narrative in our lives here at Liberty Collingswood a lot too, where Christian or non-Christian, north, south, east, and west, we all live according to various narratives that we tell ourselves, stories about us and the world that we believe to be true, and depending on what your story or narrative is, that frames all kinds of experiences, good and bad. Who are we? What are people for? Where are we from? Where are we going? What is the good life? What is good? What is evil? And I wrote this in the sermon in 2018, kept it in this one. I think it's even more true. We're in this really weird cultural space right now where on one hand, we are story saturated, but then on the other hand, we are story poor. We are story suffused, story saturated on one hand, on the other hand, story poor. Story saturated, we are bombarded by stories, bombarded by voices, bombarded by all of these different narratives given about life, the universe, and everything all the time. And if anything, since I wrote the same thing in 2018, our attention spans through a technologized world have gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. So they're not bombarded by stories as much as we're bombarded by story snippets at this point. Everywhere. But at a deeper level, there is this constant drumbeat in Western culture saying, don't let any story beside your own heart define you. You don't need any story but yourself. And there's pressure upon you and upon me to self-construct, 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 which leaves us storyless. So on the surface, we are story-saturated, but then on the inside, story-empty. Symptoms of this can be things like boredom, purposelessness, just kind of floating along. Even little things frustrate you. Those are symptoms of being story-empty, and what we'll tend to do is just grab random things from pop culture Use them as flair, like the servers in office space, just badges on the outside, and say, this is who we are. We are story poor. But Psalm 115 specifically, the scriptures in general, say, here's the story. Here is the story. Enter into something bigger. Remember, like verse 10, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. We'll get back to their help and shield part. But house of Aaron, chances are, when this particular psalm was written, Aaron, who is a brother of Moses, way back in the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible, is probably long gone, long dead. But this nomenclature is used in part to say, remember, the God of Moses, the God of Aaron, is your God as well. There is a long story. Or verse 12, the Lord remembers and will bless us. He will bless his people, Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. God remembers. 
God remembers. God has a super long story, and when we engage with the living Lord in worship, we are engaged and placed into, located within, this super long story that is the story of the world as the love and faithfulness of the living God to you in Jesus Christ. Here is a story that is longer, that is more durable, that has more staying power than any other story you're ever going to find. And we get there when we worship. So that's what worship assumes. Now let's talk about, for a couple minutes, to whom worship must go. Right at the beginning of the psalm once again. To whom might worship go? Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Not to us, but God deserves it. And the skeptical thoughts creep in again. And I guess I was making fun of pop culture earlier. Let me give, remember worship in Monty Python? When the, the worshipers towards the beginning are these morose people that are just, you know, beating themselves literally physically with planks, mumbling, some pretty cool Latin actually, but at the same time, it just feels really pathetic and dumb. We can think, is that what worship is? Even if we're happy on a Sunday morning here in the late modern West, is this really healthy for modern people? The Bible says yes, because worship properly locates you when you worship the one true God. I love fancy term biblical anthropology, the biblical vision of humanity that places us just right. On one hand, we're awesome. Made in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. Made only a little lower than the angels. Various scriptures say that's really, really good. But then on the other hand, we're broken in sin. Paul says, the good that I want to do, I just don't do. Radically messed up. So both a high and low view simultaneously. And for my money, every other worldview in the world either goes only too high or only too low. And you'll have problems either way. You're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. Really? Or you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless. And we spend a lot of time pinballing back between those things instead of holding them in balance. Worship keeps them in balance for you. We're all unique, but sorry, little prince and princesses like we are, we're not that special. But do you know who is special? God. Because he's the king, verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And God's also our creator. And one of my frustrating moments from vacation a couple of weeks ago, and it was a vacation, beautiful spot, Airbnb in rural Virginia, the Blue Ridge Mountains. I'd never been to that part of the country before. Absolutely beautiful. It's got nothing on, as you get closer to New York, on the turnpike, also beautiful. But also, Blue Ridge Mountains, kind of great. I went on a run on this mountain trail. Probably the fastest run that had ever been given on that trail. And there was beauty all around me. And my family and I, we spent time on that trip looking at the mountains, gazing at waterfalls, beholding a sky full of stars. Here in South Jersey, we can see like seven stars on a good night. There we see hundreds. God made all of this. God is good. 
And in those moments, I was being drawn back into a worshipful frame of mind that was reframing me. God made all of this. To God be the glory. So we worship God as our creator and also as our rescuer. Verses 9 to 11, hear this refrain. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. We have a track record as human beings where we don't do what we should do. Hopefully, everybody can agree about that. We don't do what we should do a lot of the time. But God always does what he has promised to do to a bruised and broken creation, to bruised and broken and sinful people like ourselves. Stories have been told, I'll pick on husbands and dads for a second here, that the older these husbands and dads get, the more forgetful they become. And so, wifey will say to husband, hey, we have that thing tonight, and husband says, what thing tonight? And then wifey says, the thing I told you about yesterday. Forgot. Or dad asks dad's kid a question, and the kid says, you asked me that same question yesterday. I don't believe that I've ever done that. I don't recall. But God never forgets. He never forgets. He remembers. And he has a track record of faithfulness. And as this psalm spins forward to the center of the story, Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and resurrected, one interesting thing that you might not know about Psalm 115 is that typically Psalm 115 is integrated in to the Passover Seder for Israelites, whether ancient or Jewish people today. And so chances are that like Countless Israelites and Jewish people, both before and afterwards, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he said this psalm. But, unlike every other Israelite that ever lived, Jewish person, human person, the next day Jesus went to the cross and died there, paying the penalty for our sin, and in the fullness of God's revelation to us, when as people after Jesus, we say, God, remember, the primary thing that God remembers is Jesus Christ, is Jesus conquering sin and death and the devil that gives us grace, forgiveness, life, renewal, hope, and a future, everything that we can't generate on our own, a better identity that's not performance-based or ideologically driven, but person-based, and the one good person that ever lived, and we're called to grow and trust in this Jesus. And one of the ways that you can grow and trust in this Jesus, and if you're not there, why not get there? Come to him by faith. Be molded in worship, which brings you into contact with the living Lord. And to put it this way, when you worship, if the same God that created us also redeems us in Jesus, when you worship, that rehumanizes you when you become softened to be a human being under the kind Lord once again. And T. Wright, British bishop, said this about worship. Worship is not an optional extra for the Christian, a self-indulgent religious activity. It is a basic Christian stance. And indeed, so Christians claim the truly human stance. And that begins every Sunday morning here at Liberty Collingswood with the call to worship call to worship has been at the front of Christian worship services for millennia. 
It's not something that was discovered in California 20 years ago. Call to worship has been going for a really long time. And there is a deeply considered rationale. Why do we have this call to worship? Christians around the world and throughout the ages, at the beginning of the worship service, it's kind of like this. Even on the dreariest, worst weather days when you're walking, biking, or driving to Liberty Collingswood or tuning in online, in Oklahoma City this past week, there was a nice rooftop reception for a lot of pastors at a cafe in a tornado hailstorm when the, it was Oklahoma, and I felt like I was at a baseball analytics conference. We're like, what's the spin rate on this hail right now? It's really, really interesting. Even that was beautiful. It had its own fearful beauty to it. So as you travel to worship on a Sunday morning, you are surrounded by a beautiful creation that itself is ringing and singing praises to the God that created all things. And in the call to worship, we as human beings are given the gracious invitation to join. To join with all of the singing of the natural world all along to confess and say, yes, you are the creator God. We're called to worship. This is where we'll, we'll wrap up. I'll put it this way. I don't want to guilt you, but call to worship comes at the beginning of the service. That's why you should get to church on time. That's why you should tune in on time if you're not able to be here on Sunday morning. When you're not here on time, you hurt the call to worship's feelings a little bit. And who wants to get to church during confession of sin? That's just a bummer. Rise for the call to worship. And whether call to worship specifically or worship in general, it's both a discipline and a grace. It's both discipline and freedom. Cultural moment right now where freedom is the polar opposite of discipline. If you want to be totally free, be curbed by nothing. I'll give you a counterexample. James Harden for the 76ers. Playing poorly in the playoffs right now. Dude is consistently out of condition and doesn't practice hard enough. And when I see James Harden barfing all over the basketball floor, I'm not thinking, good for you, James Harden. You are so free right now. Instead, dude needs to get more discipline so that he can play basketball with more freedom. They don't separate, they cohere. But when we engage in the discipline, and you can also do this for me. This is hard for me. Over the years of Liberty Collingswood, if you're a greeter, sometimes you see me outside once a worship service has started, greeters have, or you see me walking around, I do that because I'm nervous. I get nervous every Sunday. I, I, I don't know, been ordained for 20 years or so. Every Sunday morning, I get nervous. And it's easier for me to walk like a gerbil, spinning around on a Sunday morning, than actually be in the sanctuary for the start of worship. If you're a greeter, or you see me gerbiling around, Tell me, Jim, get back in church. You have that permission. So that I can be better formed by discipline to find deeper freedom in the worship of the one true God.
Because what we need as human beings is to join the communion of the saints, the church on earth, the saints that have gone before us in heaven, proclaiming in Jesus Christ, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.